But I needed something more in order to help propel me to the ministry, to the calling that I knew God had for my life. And I remember there was this moment in time I began to pray and seek this baptism of the Holy Spirit that we see all throughout Scripture. And I remember, I just want to share this story, that, that I remember there were some blocks in my life. There were some intellectual blocks, there were some emotional blocks, there were some past things that were just preventing me from taking those steps into trusting God to fully make me a vessel. Just as we sang here today, Lord, make me a vessel. You know, when we're, when we're full of stuff and we're full of self, God has a hard time pouring himself into that. Amen? And I, and I remember in a worship service here, uh, I was just at, in a worship service. I, I don't remember exactly the service where we were at, but I think it might have even been at Christ for the Nations. And, and, you know, I see around me and there's people, they've got their hands in the air. You know, they're just worshiping God, crying out at the tops of their lungs. And I'm just kind of like, you know, doing my thing, right? Because... And I just remember the Holy Spirit just beginning to just kind of speak to me in that still, small voice saying, Joe, you need to you need to just abandon and just lift up your hands. And I'm like, man, I I knew what was going to happen at that point, that that as soon as I lifted my hands, of course, everybody in the whole auditorium is going to turn around and look at me because they're going to be like, oh, Joe rose his hands. No, but of course, you know, that's what's going in my mind. Right. But the reality is, is that I was just so self-absorbed and had this understanding. I don't need to raise my hands. okay? well, the truth is, is that. You don't need to raise your hands, but sometimes God, he just wants us to uh, surrender. And we know that lifting our hands is that universal sign of surrender. I can go anywhere in the world, and if I walk in with my hands up, they know I'm completely surrendered to them. And at that moment in time, Jesus, he wanted me to surrender myself to his Holy Spirit and just to lift up my hands and say, Lord, I surrender all. Make me a vessel. You know, it's at that moment that I begin to realize that as we grasp the power of God's word, as we just think about that, as we grasp the power of God's word, this Bible that you have, there's power in it. As we grasp the power of God's word, God's word has the ability to grasp our lives with his power. And that power is his Holy Spirit. So today I want to talk to you about the, the, the day of Pentecost. We're going to go through that, but I want to give you some some, some nuggets of truth that are found in the Word of God that, that are just going to give you maybe a little bit new understanding of what Pentecost is. Amen? Is that okay? So the day of Pentecost, most of you know Pentecost simply means 50, okay? If you didn't know that, 50. So the day of Pentecost was 50 days. The significance of that is, is that on the, the day of, from Passover to Pentecost was 50 days, Okay? But the reality is, is that there was another event going on at that time. They called it Pentecost, but actually it was the Feast of Weeks. Okay, and we're going to look at this and what that symbolizes. And the Feast of Weeks was 49 days after the Passover. Okay, Feast of Weeks, 49 days. It's seven weeks. Seven times seven is what? 49 mathematicians. I had to pull out my calculator to actually figure that out. Okay. But something significant that happens in that moment is that in that Feast of Weeks, there's something powerful in that, okay? And that's what I want to talk about. That, that you know, it's, it, there's, this is a harvest time, and that's incredible, right? It's a harvest time, but there's something else that significant happened. We know that Passover was celebrated in Jewish tradition, that they did that. Why? Because that celebrated and, and memorialized the moment in time that, that the Israelites, the Jews, were delivered out of captivity from from the Egyptians, right? That, that Passover supper was that moment of deliverance from the Egyptians, right? Then we go 
in, in time, if, you, if we're going to look at the Bible, you see that, that 49 days later, something significant happens in their lives. The, the, that is the day that the Torah was given. That's the day that God proclaimed His law to the Israelites. And that's where they commemorated the Feast of Weeks. And as a matter of fact, so think about this. That day of Pentecost was during the Feast of Weeks. So in my mind, I always had this, okay, so you have these, these, these men, these women who are up in this upper room. But in reality, there was a lot more going on in the city of Jerusalem at that time. There was a significant event. As a matter of fact, it's still significant today. If you went into Israel today, this is a, an image of what you might see. I think, Grace, you can put up that image. So that, that's an image there of what you might see during the Feast of Weeks. That's a, just a really beautiful picture. You see there the, the wailing wall. But at this moment, many, 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 many Jews are converging upon Jerusalem as it's mandated by the Jewish faith that they visit there three times a year as they, as they go to, to make offerings and sacrifices unto the Lord. And one of those days being the day of Passover, another one of those feasts being the Feast of Weeks, and the third feast of the year being the Feast of of tabernacles. And this is, as we know today, they don't call it the Feast of Weeks necessarily. They call it Shavu. Okay? Shavu. That's pronounced like, or spelled out like this. Shavu, Grace. Shavu. This is what that time is. You see, it's significant to understand that, that at that moment, on the day of Pentecost, these apostles, they're gathered in that upper room. And all around them, are people on the streets, they're in the shops, they're, they're, they're walking around, they're purchasing things, they're celebrating the giving of the Torah. They're, they're celebrating the giving of the law of God. So let's go, if we will, to Deuteronomy 5.22 And of course we know that this was immediately after God. He just speaks out of his mouth. I mean, if you could just get the image and we'll go through a little bit of that. But God, he is declaring amongst his people those ten commandments. And Deuteronomy 5.22 says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire. The cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. This is Moses speaking. And then so it was when he heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You see, at that moment, these Israelites, they're just brought out of captivity. They're just freed from, from, from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And they're there in the wilderness. This is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two million people. Counting all men, women, and children. That's a lot of folks. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom what two million people might look like. Uh, one, one way to kind of get an idea of, of, is on that, I think it's estimated during the time when Martin Luther King Jr. had his, had his march on Washington, D.C. There were some almost one million people there. So if you can get that mental image of what that looks like on, on the Washington Mall and, and then multiply that times two. It's a lot of people. 
In fact, it's, it's so imperative that we understand that there were so many people there the day that this happened. Because not only were these people present in the presence of God, but they were eyewitnesses unto the voice of the Lord that they saw in the mountain. They saw fire. They saw burning. They saw smoke. They heard the voice of the Lord speak to them that day. That is the most, one of the most significant events, significant events in Jewish history. The giving of the Torah. This is the day that God came down and spoke to men. You see, in that specific moment, the whole world was changed. It wasn't that they, they didn't know that there was a God. We know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? And then later, Joseph is how they got into Israel. But we see here that they knew that of the presence of God, but never before in all of history had God came down and spoke to all of humanity in one instant. You know, in, in the presence of two million witnesses, two million witnesses, and you know the incredible thing about it is not one of those witnesses, witnesses contradicted the story. You know, that, that's, that's incredible evidence to the reality of a creator God. That, that two million people confirmed sightings and hearing the voice of the Lord. In fact, they say the, the voice was so powerful, we can't even bear it. Moses, you go bear the voice of the Lord for us. But in that day, God spoke. In that day, God spoke. The world changed. You see, they had before that, God was just works unto deliverance. You know, God, they, saw, they had the plagues in Egypt and, and all those things. The, the Israelites saw that. They saw the plagues. They witnessed the plagues, but yet they get into the wilderness and they begin to doubt quickly, right? They, they begin to say, God, why would, or Moses, why did you take us out here into the wilderness only for us to starve and die of thirst? Now, this is the same Moses that went before the Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And then God began to send plagues unto the land. You see, we need to have an understanding that God can work in, in, in power and might, but he can also work in his voice as he speaks to his people. And on that day, this day celebrated Every year by the Jews, this Feast of Weeks, they celebrate that. Why? Because that's the day that they celebrate that God spoke to men and gave His law. Deuteronomy 6, 16, 9 through 12. God begins to just give some, some outlines into this thing. He says, he says, you shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where you where your Lord, your God, chooses you, or chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You see, God established this feast, as the feast, as a means for, for, for men to remember the works of the Lord. You see, God here in Deuteronomy, we're seeing, he, he's saying, listen, I brought you out. He established the Passover. He said every year you need to remember. And as a matter of fact, we even do that now. The Passover, 
we know that we have a Passover lamb that, that, that it was only sacrificed once for our salvation. That salvation through Jesus Christ, the, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, as we understand that. And he says, but even further, I want you to understand that, that, that God spoke to you. Set this time apart. Come together and have a celebration for when God established his Torah. This is what, the, this is what God is speaking to the Jews. Deuteronomy 16 and 16 says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in a place which he chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover. At the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot. And at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. God is saying, every year I want you to take these moments to remember what I've done in your nation. I want you to remember that I delivered you out of bondage. I want you to remember that I spoke to you in, on the mountain with fire. I want, you to, I want you to remember in this tabernacles that I'm going to come and dwell with you forever. You see, at the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're not going to spend much time on that, but they would all, all the Jews, they go to Jerusalem, they still do, and they build like little tabernacles, little tents, and they stay in there for a period of time. And, and, and that's a reminder for them that God kept them through that whole time of that they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Think about that, the, the miraculous work of God in 40 years. It says that the soles of their shoes were never even worn out. That's a, that's a remarkable thing. I had a pair of shoes the other day. I drove all the way from, from, from Lafayette to, to Iowa, Louisiana to, to go be, uh, participate in a funeral. And I get there and I'm starting to walk around and literally the soles of my shoes are just falling apart. Okay, I, I end up, I'm like, my soles are gone. I don't know what happened. I must have walked in something. But throughout the 40 years, I had to go buy some new shoes. These are them, by the way. So, so 40 years, these are the new ones, not the old ones. 40 years, though, no shoes wore out, no clothes wore out. God provided them every single day manna. He provided the quails. He provided water. It was just miraculous provision. You see, the Passover is a reminder of God's deliverance. And I'm, I'm convinced here today that, that the majority of us here can remember that moment in our life when we were in bondage. Maybe not a, a bondage by change, but a bondage by, by emotions, a bondage by addiction, a bondage by relationship. But there was a moment in each one of our lives where we say, you know, Lord, I am no longer going to live in that bondage. And he provided a miraculous work similar to that done in Egypt. But he sent his son to the cross. That way we don't have to live in bondage anymore. And we can celebrate each year as we celebrate Easter, that time that God delivered us from that bondage in our lives. The Feast of Weeks speaks of the promise of God. That God gave a promise to us, each and every one of us. And then the Feast of Tabernacles speaks to that eternity. You know, that day, the Feast of Weeks, God spoke in an audible voice. And He did more than just impress two million people. At that moment in time, you see those people, they had, a, they had a common heritage. They had a common background. But the problem was they didn't have a common order. They didn't have a common destiny. They didn't have a common future. And when God spoke, He established things right there on that mountain. He spoke those things. Now listen, the Ten Commandments, you don't ever have, nobody, you can have someone who never even heard of the Bible and they know because of what God's implanted in them as God's creation 
thou shalt not murder. They know that it's not good to lie. They know that they should honor their mother and their father. But what God did is on that mountain, he gave them an identity. He said, you know, I'm going to establish you as a nation here today by giving you these words, by giving you this law, by giving you these tabernacles, these tablets, by giving you this established standard in order to live by. You know, God said, at this moment, I'm establishing a nation. And he did. He established the nation of Israel. He gave them an identity. In that, he gave them order. You know, not only did God establish the law and the Torah, but he established these things that men could live peaceably together. Could you imagine living in a world of utter chaos where there was no law? You know, the Bible says that God gave us these authorities and, and, and the rulers over us in order that we should live in peace. If, if we had no rulers over us, if we had no order, how could we possibly live in peace if everybody just did what they thought was right in their own eyes? Then simply, I want more land, so I'm just going to go take this guy's land because he's weaker than me. And there's no authority in the land to prevent me from doing that. God said, you know, I'm going to give you order on that day. He came on the fi- with fire on a mountain and established a nation. He established an identity. He established order. You know, he established peace. You know, during that time, they didn't even have, other than Moses as the prophet, they didn't have a king, they didn't have a government. They simply had God as their ruler. God would lead them by day as a pillar of smoke and by night as a pillar of fire. You see, God would lead them every single day. He established perfect peace in the nation of Israel. He established unity as he as he began to tell Moses and pour out himself into Moses. Say, Moses, you need to lead my people. And they would go to him. And finally, he established power, you know, but before that, the the nation of Israel was fleeing from Egypt. They were fleeing from the Pharaoh. They were they had no power within themselves to accomplish anything other than building bricks for other men. But whenever God began to speak the Torah and he began to speak the law unto them and gave them those laws, now that nation of Israel became a powerful, fearful nation in the land. In fact, many nations begin to tremble at their very, the, the very presence of, their, of that nation being around. You know the story of, of Jericho when they came across, or they were fixing to come across. The, the people in Jericho were fearful of that nation. You see, the Feast of Weeks... Is, is something that's significant in the giving of the Torah. The Jews still celebrate that today. Why? Because that's their identity. That's when God said, you are my people. And he established that by speaking to them in the first person. They heard an audible voice from heaven. They heard, they saw the fire. They felt the trembling. So they would come. Every year, they still do. To that, to that place in Jerusalem where God established. And this is the environment that was there on that day of Pentecost when it says that, that the, the apostles and all the followers were there in one accord praying and waiting for God to come. That it was an electric environment. There was great anticipation and celebration in the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't just life as usual. Everybody who was there was waiting for God. They were waiting for something. Thousands of people were there to celebrate and feast. You see, as God took that nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt, 
I want you to see here that sometimes it's required that God takes us out of our comfort zone in order for him to be able to speak to us. Just like God, he took them out of that nation of Egypt and put them in the wilderness. That way he can meet them on a mountain and speak to them in a way that would establish a nation that is still thriving today. Think about that. You know, you, you hear a lot of a, about a lot of tribes and a lot of nations in the Bible. Israel is still going. And I don't think in, in the history of humanity, there's ever been a people group that have been as oppressed as the Israelite people, as the Jews. But yet they still continue on. Their legacy continues. Why? Because God is with them. You see, I believe that we're all wanting a powerful move of God. We all want a powerful move of God. The question is, are we willing to get out of our comfort zone? Are we willing to maybe even go into that experience of the wilderness and put ourselves at the base of the mountain for God to speak? You see, the reason I'm tying this together is because I believe it's significant that God, of all the days, there's 365.25 or however many days it is per year, including leap years and all that. But of all the days for God to send His Holy Spirit in power, He picked this day. Luke 24, 49. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, and behold, I will send the promise of my father upon you. He says, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus says, go into the city of Jerusalem and you wait for me. Now, keep in mind, this is 40 days. Okay, 40 days. Jesus is with his his apostles. 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus is with them. And he says, go into the city of Jerusalem and wait for me there. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the promise from God. And and it's going to meet you there in the city. Right now, these apostles, they know what's going on. They're Jews. So they know that in the city, there's going to be a bunch of people there. Okay, God says, go there, wait for me. You see, the significance is, is that God, he did that for a specific reason. God wanted to make a statement and to connect something with the Old Testament, with the New Testament. You see, in the Word of God, God just didn't abolish the Old Testament and write the New. You see, the the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Right? As we look at the history of, of the Jewish people, we see how God works in our lives. Acts 1, 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus, then he goes and they have that that whole, he's ascended into heaven. For ten whole days, the, the apostles, they go into Jerusalem and they find the upper room and they gather there in one accord, as it says, as they're assembled together. They have one mind, one purpose. They're in the room. They're waiting for this promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit that, God, that, that Jesus has sent to baptize his people with. And they're waiting there. And on that same day that is signified by the Jews celebrating God coming down 
on a, as fire on a mountain and beginning to speak in an audible voice to two million people, there begins to be shaking and rumbling in that room. And God begins to send a rushing mighty wind into that place. You see, it wasn't something that was just noticed by the people in the room. I want you to know that that, that was noticed by all the people all around that were there in the city of Jerusalem. That however many people were there, some million people in the city of Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of people that were there in the room, of all that, God decided to make His presence known again in power. You see, there was no denying it for any Jew that was there that day while He was giving the Torah. There wasn't somebody who was just sitting around saying, "Uh, hey, what just happened? Right? Nobody. All the people were there. They were all given that word. They all experienced the manifest presence of God on the mountain. I want you to know that right there in the city of Jerusalem, the manifest presence of God was made known again through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That that moment, thousands of witnesses that were there, it says that, that in the Scripture, Peter, he goes out onto the streets And 3,000 were saved that day and came into their fold. Why? Because there was hundreds of thousands of people there. And there was nobody there that that knew that or did not know that something was going on. They heard the the rushing mighty wind. They saw the cloven tongues. They saw the fire. They saw the men come out changed and transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. It says in, in Acts 1.12, it says, and then, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Verse 14, it says, and these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. You see, from that time, Jesus said, go, wait for me. They went there and they began to pray in one accord, in one mind. You see, when the the Israelites were delivered from the nation of of Egypt into the wilderness, they didn't just begin to be dispersed and say, you know what, I'm going to go here, you go there, and all that stuff. They stayed in one accord, in unity, together. And God spoke to them. You know, I believe that on that day of Pentecost, just like on that day of, of, of when God gave the Torah, that God wanted to connect those two events Specifically because he said, you know, I spoke to you then, I'm speaking to you now. You know, many of us aren't willing to go there. But what's it required for God to speak to us? You see, there needs to be some unity. It says they were in one accord, in one place, praying the same thing. They all were waiting for this promise of the Father to come. Unity. But the reality of unity is unity is difficult for everybody to latch on to. Do you realize that, before, that at this time when Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, that there was probably about 500 people with them? But on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had finally come, there was only 120 left. You know, one of the principal truths of unity is not everybody's going to be able to go with you on it, that journey. You know, God, for us, for him to establish unity, there's people who are just going to get weary along the way. 
I want to encourage you today and let you know that, that even though you're pressing forward to the goal, that you're believing for God to touch you, you're believing for God to speak in your life, you're believing for that healing in your life, that there's people that's going to try to keep you from doing that. They're going to say, you know what, we've been praying for years, nothing's happened. God wants you to know that, look, you keep praying. Find some people that you can come into unity with. The Bible says, Jesus said that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst you. Find that one or two people that you can pray with that will come into unity with you and God's going to begin to move in that situation. Amen. Amen. You see, on that day of Pentecost, when, the, when, the, when God spoke again in power and in might, the same way He sent fire from that Mount of Sinai, He sent fire into that upper room and spoke in an audible voice. And the nation was changed. You see, on that day uh, uh, that God gave the Torah, the nation of Israel was established. I believe that that on that day of Pentecost, the church was established in power. That it got its identity in the Holy Spirit. That it began to function in peace. I mean, think about that. We just prayed here as we received our offering. Right after that, the church began to grow and everybody began to give and they were all united together. That takes a work of God. You see, we have to be in unity. Not everybody can stay. And you know what? We just keep praying. But we have to keep praying until something changes. Keep praying until something moves. You see, on the upper room, he said... Hey, wait until this day. If I show up, well, then, you know, great. If not, yeah, just, you know, come back later. He said, no. He said, go, Terry, wait for the promise of the Father. There was no uh, alternative plan, okay? Promise of the Father doesn't come, just go home. Nope, we're going to stay until the promise of the Father comes. When we begin to pray and intercede and wait on the Lord, we need to come with the expectation that God's going to show up. And I'm not going to leave until He does. And I'm going to keep praying in unity until God moves. Amen. Come on, I feel like we have a church sometimes, not just this church, but the church as a whole, that we just want to be entertained. Come on, I I don't believe that God called us to just a a church that we can spectator sport, right? Prayer and intercession and, and worship and praise is not a spectator sport. It's a participation sport. Come on, you can get a trophy just for participation. Everybody gets a trophy in Christianity. <laughs> well, we need to pray until something moves. Come on, there's a, the, the next point I want to make is that after that something moved, come on, we know something happened. There's nobody there that denied that something happened. And let me tell you, they didn't come walking out of that upper room experience as God moved in their life, changed their hearts forever, and then said, you know what? That was awesome, man. Woo, let's invite somebody here next week. No, they didn't. They didn't. They began to declare right there on the streets with hundreds of thousands of Jews that that God has come back, that the promise of the Father has been delivered, that you no longer have to live in your sin, you no longer have to live in your turmoil, but God is with us and He's in us. That he said that the promise of the Father has come. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we can be endued with power from on high. No longer do we have to be orphans, but we can, that we're grafted in, adopted into the family of a creator God. Come on, we need to understand that once that happens, we can't function in that old self any longer. But we need to function in the new reality of what God's just done in us. 
Cool, we're going we're gonna to be unified together. We're going to pray. We're going to keep praying until something moves. And then once something moves, we're not going to work in that old life anymore. We're going to go with that new change. Right? When you move your house, right? You move, man. I, I, we moved to Youngsville, or just right down the road, six years ago. I don't drive all the way to Lake Charles to go shopping at the Walmart no more. I go, I go into the present reality of where I'm at today. You know, I go shopping at, I'm not going to say, because then I don't want to be like, but I go shopping around my house. But when I'm saved, you know, when I'm saved, I don't have to go back to that old lifestyle anymore. I'm walking in a new reality, in a new presence, in a new place. Amen? Come on. You see, God wants to touch our lives. He did it in the most profound way possible. He didn't just go put them in some secret upper room. I think he put them in the upper room because he wanted that sound to reverberate down to everybody who was around him. God didn't just take him and put him in a corner somewhere in a strip mall in Jerusalem. Next to the Piggly Wiggly. He put them in the upper room and he began to do it in the midst of the most amount of people that he could possibly do it in because he wanted people to know that I spoke again. I spoke on that day and established a nation. I'm speaking now and I'm establishing a people that are going to go and transform this world with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, I want to be in that number. Amen. I want to be in that number. You see, on that day, Peter brings clarification the people were like, what in the world has just happened? Think about that. Man, the only explanation that they can give was, everybody's drunk, okay? Everybody's drunk. That was the explanation. Wow. I mean, just think about that. Peter didn't begin to defend that, right? He didn't. He said, no, we're not drunk with wine, he said. No, but he said, we've received something that's far greater than that, that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He says in Acts 2.16, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's saying, listen, what's happening isn't a new thing, but this is something that God promised was going to come anyway. He said, and this shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Come on, God didn't do something new. He did something that was expected. Come on, you're praying for healing. That's not something extraordinary. That's something that should be expected in our lives. Come on, I'm expecting God to move in healing. I'm expecting God to move in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm expecting God to move in might and power in each and every one of our lives. Why? If I I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here just to hear myself talk. Come on, God wants to move in us. We need to begin to, to, to wait on that moving. We need to find our place in that upper room experience saying, God, I'm here. I'm waiting on that promise that you promised to me. And when it comes, it's an expected promise. He says that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Come on. I know I am flesh. I know every one of us are flesh and we are included in that all. He says, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The, sh- the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. 
And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The truth is, is that the, the, the reality of the gospel is simple. It's simple. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, God established on the mountain of Sinai. He began to speak to his people. God, on that upper room, on the same day that the Jews were there commemorating that moment, God says, I'm speaking again. And I believe that even today, God can speak to each and every one of us. As, we, as, as Peter explains that this is simply fulfillment of Scripture. That your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. For the specific purpose of this. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 